you have your Bibles, if you would be opening them with me to the book of Luke chapter number 8, Luke chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, um, you could look into a pew in front of you, or a, uh, not really a pew, but seats in front of you. There should be a, a Bible that's been left there. If you'd like to use a Bible this morning, that would be a, a really good thing if you'd, you weren't able to bring one. And if you need a Bible, all you need to do is see me. We have some Bibles around the church that uh, we could give you as a gift. And uh, Bibles, we, we don't want Bibles sitting on the shelf here at uh, Metropolitan Baptist Church. Amen. They're better in your hands than they are sitting on a bookshelf. And uh, we have a Bible handout on Saturdays where we hand out the New Testaments to people. And uh, yesterday there was a man that came through and he said, oh, what I, what I wouldn't do to have a large print Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I said, you know, I've got just the thing for you. And Brother Daniel had told me somebody had donated some Bibles to the church, and uh, I was able to give him one of those really, really nice Bibles. And uh, I may not have a whole lot of those, but uh, if you need a Bible, I certainly can give you one. The Bible's very important. It's the greatest book that's ever been, ever been written. It's God's Word to you. It's how God reveals himself to you. To you. And uh, before we get into the service, by the raise of hand, how many of you brought your cell phone with you to church today? All right. Would you please take your cell phone out of your pocket and make sure, or your purse. I don't carry a purse or a European handbag. Uh, but if you would please turn your phone on silent just in case something goes wrong in service and your fancy ringtone goes off and you can't find it or fumble with it to turn it off. You ever had that happen in, uh, in church before? Anybody had that? A ringtone went off? Uh, at my last church, I had joined a church in Missouri, and they said that somebody had their ringtone set to the, uh, the opening theme of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And in the middle of service, the song went off, and the person whose phone was going off was hidden in their purse, and they couldn't turn it off. So the pastor had to stop preaching during the time when the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air's opening music was singing, and we would hate for that to happen during this service. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord. Uh, Luke chapter number 8, we're going to read about 13 verses or so in the Bible. The Bible gives us the story that took place during the life of Jesus. Luke chapter number 8, we're going to begin reading in verse number 26. The Bible says, And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters. And he brake the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was an herd of 
many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done, and they came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also which saw it told them by what means that he was possessed of the devil was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way, and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. We're going to be preaching a message this morning called Lessons from a Troubled Man, and we hope and pray that God will use the preaching in your life for a good reason today. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, We come into your presence this morning and we ask that you'd help the preaching of your word. Help me, Lord, as I speak. Help me not to say anything I shouldn't. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would be acceptable to you. Lord, I pray that they would be understandable to those that hear. I pray if there's anyone here today who's lost, who doesn't know you as Savior, that today might be that day when they receive you as their Lord and Savior before it's eternally too late. And I pray also, Lord, that you might draw us close to you. May we all sense and feel your presence this morning as we preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, throughout my life, I have had the privilege of meeting many, many, many people. I've grown up in church. I've had different walks of life, different types of employment. Uh, Years ago, I was in Washington, D.C. with my my son, Jacob. We took him on uh, what we called his senior trip. And uh, we were invited to go to the White House and to have a Bible study with the vice president's staff. And we sat across from the East Lawn in the vice president's uh, office. And we got to meet some very famous people in that room that day. Many years ago, when I was first married, I was working at Joe Lewis Arena, a fireman that I worked with. He had invited me to come down there and, and work at the hockey games in Detroit. You know, hockey was a big thing. And in Detroit, Michigan. They called it Hockey Town. And uh, I was able to, eat, to meet many people down there. I met a hockey player by the name of Gordie Howe, one of the greatest hockey players that have ever lived. And Steve Eiserman and Brett Hull played. That's like saying that I was able to, to meet Tom Landry or Roger Staubach here in, in Dallas. Some of you don't know who any of these hockey players are. One day I showed up uh, to, to an event. They, they scheduled me as I worked down there at this arena to a wrestling event. And uh, I got to meet some of the wrestlers who were wrestling in that ring. One of them they called the Big Show. I don't know if you know anything about this guy, but he's seven foot three. And he's like 400 pounds, maybe even 500 pounds. And when I shook his hand, his hand wrapped around my entire hand. He was a modern day giant. So I've been able to meet some 
a great many people, and, and I've also met a lot of common, everyday people from all different walks of life. Uh, growing up in church, we met a great many people from all over the world, all over the United States, and even people who were born in other countries. I've met policemen and firefighters and business people, not necessarily well-known politicians or sports figures, but good people who were pleasant to be around. However, there's many times in life where we have met people who are extremely troubled. I was preaching in Louisville, Kentucky, downtown Louisville, many years ago. It was a church that was predominantly black. It was four four blocks away from Churchill Downs, and I was in the congregation, and they had asked me to preach, and I got, I got up and started preaching at this conference. And a man had come in that morning by the name of Carl, and he sat in the front row. And uh, Carl, quite, you know, just by the look of him, he was, he was a troubled man. He lived on the streets. He had that rough look about him. And as I began to preach, and I was about 10 or 15 minutes in the sermon, Carl got up and began to shadow box in the front of the church, like between me and the front row. And the people started, you know, getting a little bit restless, at least the people visiting, but the people there from that church, they didn't panic at all. I mean, Carl's up there throwing punches and almost like he's boxing against somebody as I'm preaching. And, and uh, the pastor and the deacons, they were kind of just observing what was going on. And they let it play out for a little while. And uh, it wasn't something that you'd often see in church. You know, if someone ever begins to shadow box in the front of the church, you know that something is kind of wrong, okay? And by the way, you need people that are a little bit, you know, not itchy to take somebody down like that. You know, you need people that show a little bit of a patience and try to de-escalate a situation. And they knew that Carl was troubled. See, Carl was a Vietnam-era veteran, And he struggled when he came back because of the things he saw. He lost people that he knew over there. And instead of turning to Christ, he had turned to alcohol and drugs. And at this point, he was living on the street. And finally, one of the deacons came up to Carl. And he he just, Carl was boxing. And he put his arm around Carl. And he said, come on, Carl. You know better than to do this. And he was able to escort Carl out to the back. And there was no you know, carnage or bloodshed or anything like that. They didn't get in a fight with him. They just, they treated him kindly. What I'm saying is, is that you meet people in life sometimes who are troubled. Many times this is a choice, you know. The Bible talks about this man that he didn't abide in any house. Here in this area, you might be driving around and get off the freeway and you see people who many times, by choice, they live on the street. Some people are living on the street because they want to. They don't want somebody to hunt them down. They don't want somebody to find them because they owe somebody money. They don't want the law to find them. They don't want to have a mailing address. They don't want to have a house payment. They don't want to have a car payment. They, 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 they want to live a life of no responsibility. Other times people have gone through great pain in life and they have turned and they've been broken by life. Broken to the point where they won't even live in a house anymore. The Bible says about this, that this man neither abode in any house. He wasn't at this time in his life abiding in a house. Last year, my family and I went to Denver, Colorado. We were on vacation together, and we we had the opportunity to drive through downtown Denver. There were so many people who were homeless there. We saw people literally using drugs in our presence. 
putting needles in their arm and, and just rampant drug abuse, garbage on the streets and needles and just, just it, was, it was really, uh, it was hard to see that in American city we saw so many people and some of them had this, this look about them that they were extremely troubled. Life is full of sometimes people that have gone through great, a great many troubles. And in Luke chapter number 8, this is a unique story. Christ had just come from the other side of the lake. Jesus had said, hey, we're going to cross over to the other side. You could read about that just before verse number 26. You, those of you who know your Bible understand, Jesus said, hey, we're going to the other side. And then in the midst of them you know, going on a boat to the other side of the lake, a huge windstorm uh, popped up and it began to fill the boat with water and the disciples felt like, hey, their boat was going to sink. Jesus was sleeping in that boat. And the Bible talks about how in the middle of that storm, Jesus woke up after his disciples thought that he didn't care about them. They said, don't, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus got up and the Bible says he rebuked the wind and he rebuked the waves and immediately there was a calm. It says this in Luke chapter number 8 and verse number 24. In the middle of the verse, then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Now, can you imagine somebody having power over the wind and over the waves of the sea just the other day? I've lived here since late July. I moved to this area in the middle of a cold front. I hadn't seen rain until Friday. I never saw a storm until Friday. My wife and I were sitting under our back porch watching this whole thing take place. Lightning striking everywhere. My trees looked like they were blowing sideways. It was a violent storm. And when the rain began to come down, it came down in sheets and sideways. <laughs> you know, whenever the, way, the rain's sideways, you know the wind's blowing pretty hard. I was under a covered area and I was getting soaked. I couldn't imagine going out to the wind, just standing right out there in the wind saying, I rebuke you, <laughs> and whoosh, a flat calm. And if I did do that, you ought to be scared of me. <laughs> That's exactly what happened with Christ. I couldn't imagine being on a boat during a storm like that. Now, I can imagine being on a boat in a storm, thank you, Alan Webster, but not a storm like that. This was a violent storm. And Christ was able to come out, and it, came, it turned into a flat calm. And his disciples said, what manner of man is this? In verse 25. What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had that ability to calm the storms of the wind and the waves. Have you ever considered what kind of man Jesus is? Jesus is a man who can calm not only the storms of wind and of the waves, but he can calm the storms in someone's life. This man who Jesus was going over there to meet, and if you look at this passage of this, the Scripture, there really was only one reason that Christ crossed over the lake to begin with, and that was to meet this man. A man who the Bible said had all kinds of trouble. The Bible calls him a certain man in verse number uh, verse number 26, where we began to read where he was, was in the Gadarenes. The Bible calls him this certain man in verse number 27. 
And it describes him as a man who was possessed of an unclean spirit and legions of devils. He didn't wear any clothes, or he wore very little clothes, as the Bible described him. He didn't live in a house. And he abode around the wilderness and in cemeteries where they buried people. Fellow man had attempted to chain this man, no doubt because he was a nuisance to society. Mark chapter number 5 says that they bound him with chains, and he had such an uncanny strength and focus that he was able to pluck the chains away from him. You've got to have some kind of strength to begin to break fetters and chains, but he did. He was so troubled, the Bible says that he would travel to the mountains and into the tombs and into the wilderness. The Bible talks about him crying. The Bible talks about him cutting himself with stones. He wasn't cutting himself to kill himself. He was cutting himself because he was afflicted by these demonic presences. He was cutting. He was crying. He didn't have a house. He was certainly someone who was described as a troubled soul. Can you see him in your mind's eye? A man running around with little to no clothes, bloody hands, bloody, bloody arms because he's cutting himself, dirty, untamable. Jesus saw him. Matter of fact, Jesus saw him, no doubt, from the other side of that lake. And he said, we're going to the other side. The reason they went to the other side was for a couple of things. I think he needed to show his disciples that the winds and the waves had nothing on him. But he also needed to show his disciples that what they were there for. They were there to try to help people. You know, when people have troubled souls, Jesus is a good person to meet. When we have our Bible handout, sometimes people come in and they, they need help. They pull in there and they need a Bible. They, they need somebody to tell them the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I serve a Savior who can help people that have problems with drugs. I serve a Savior that can help people that have a problem with addictions. I serve a Savior who can help people that have problems in their marriage. I serve a Savior who can help people that have problems in life. What manner of man is this? If he can calm the waves and the wind, he certainly can calm your heart. And he could bring help to you. You know, the Scripture deals with uh, this. In this passage of Scripture, we know that this man who was he, he, was, he was definitely calm by the Lord. We talk about what manner of man that the Lord was, and here in Luke chapter number 8, I want to consider some of the things that took place after the meeting of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that when he came out, it was actually the demonic presences from within him began to ask Christ some questions. Years ago, I, I traveled with some people, and there, there was a couple people that I visited in a mental hospital. They were struggling with some problems of their mind. They've had, some of them had breakdowns. And uh, you'd be shocked at how many people have some good Bible knowledge in mental hospitals. Mental hospitals are full of people who are spiritually confused. And many times they have delved into the Scripture. If you've not had any, uh, any experience going to a mental hospital, it's definitely something that can can wear you out in your mind. There are people that are so confused. What I can say is this, is that these demonic presences, 
that were involved with this man, when they saw, when they saw Jesus, they knew who Jesus was. And the devils know who Jesus is. There was a story in the book of Acts about uh, these guys who were preaching in the name of Jesus. And, and these guys were saying, you know, we adjure you. They were trying to cast out devils by, by, by Jesus whom Paul preached. And the demon said, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? The Bible says some bad things happened to those false preachers at that time. I want to say this, the devil knows that his day is coming. And so do the demons that followed the, the devil. You, you think that demonic things that were going on in the time of Christ don't go on today? There are people who are afflicted with sin, and there are people that are afflicted with demonic presences today just as there were in those times. And the signs are all around us. In fact, some of the things that I described in this man's life, you, you can also picture in your mind because you've seen it. Even sometimes people that attend church are dealing with a demonic oppression or even sometimes a possession. But the devils knew their day was coming. When Jesus came out, notice in verse 28, The demons are talking to the Lord. What have I to do with thee, Jesus, the Son of God Most High? Now listen, the devils are not subject for salvation. Satan can't be saved and won't be saved. He turned against God and he was booted out of heaven. And he took some of the angels with him. Those those angels that fell, that became the the, the devils that follow Satan, they're not... They're not progenitors. This means that they can't reproduce. They're not like we are as mankind. But those that, those that were booted out of heaven, they're not subject for salvation. Jesus didn't die for the fallen angels. He died for humans. He died for human beings. For those that have flesh and blood, like we do. But the demons know who the Lord is. In the book of James, in the second chapter, it talks about It says this, thou believest in God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Here's an example. This was a demon-possessed man, and the demons knew. They trembled at the Son of God. And they said, torment me not. In the book of Mark, it says, don't torment us before the time. You know, the devils have enough sense to know that judgment day is coming. And judgment day is coming. And it's not only coming for the devils, it's coming for us. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men, once to die, after this, the judgment. You may try to run from the judgment. You may try to think there's something you can do to yourself to get away from the judgment. That song that we used to sing at the invitation time in a church I grew up in was, there's a great day coming, A great day coming, a great day coming by and by, when the saint and the sinner shall be parted right and left. Are you ready for that day to come? There's a bright day coming, a bright day coming, a bright day coming by and by, but its brightness will only come to them that know the Lord. Are you ready for that day to come? Then the last verse, it was only a three-verse song. It says, there's a sad day coming, a sad day coming. There's a sad day coming by and by when the sinner will hear his doom. Depart, I know you not. Are you ready for that day to come? And the chorus said, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you ready? Are you ready? 
for the judgment day. There are many people who are not ready for the judgment day. These demons were not ready for judgment day. They said, don't torment us before the time. And there are some people who are not ready for the judgment. The devils knew their day was coming. The devil knew that the judgment day would be a day of torment. The devils knew who Jesus was. Also this, I'd like to say things we learned from this story, lessons, lessons from the meeting. Jesus had power over the devils, and he has power over all sin. There's nothing you can be wrapped up in that Jesus doesn't have power over. You say, oh no, I've met people that are so tied up in sin that there's no freedom for them. They could never turn loose of the bottle. They could never turn loose of that drug. They could never turn loose of that addiction. I'm here to tell you that's a lie because Jesus said he can bring freedom to people and Jesus can bring freedom to you as well. Jesus had power over the devils and Jesus had power to calm the storm inside the troubled man. And Jesus has power to calm the storm inside of you as well. Now, there should be a storm inside of you if you're not ready for the judgment day. It's actually a good thing to consider. There are some people who want to be like an ostrich, who, if going to be attacked by a predator, will bury its head in the sand and say, if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. And there are people who like to live their lives in this fashion not considering the future. I remember used to trying to talk to a man who, who loved hunting and, and he just, and I probably told you this story before and that's just what preachers do. They tell the same stories over and over again. That was another joke that fell flat. You guys are not getting out of here until you start laughing at my terrible jokes, but I'm just kidding. Uh, he, he, he said, Pastor, I don't want to talk about dying. I want to talk about living. And for him, living was being out in the woods killing horned creatures. If you're not ready for the judgment day, you can get ready. I'm here to tell you this. If, if you fear the coming judgment, Jesus paid all of your judgment for you. Every negative thing that you've ever done. The Bible says that he came to save sinners. The Bible says that he paid for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus said, it is finished, he basically said that the payment for all of your sins was made on Calvary's cross. That's a blessing, friend. You can be saved before it's too late. Not only do we learn those things from the meeting... The meet, the, the meeting, during this meeting, we, we know that the, the devils knew who Jesus was. The devils recognized that judgment day was coming. I also want to say this. What happened to those devils? They, they said, bid us go into those swine. What, what did the pigs do when the devils went inside those creatures? They ran into the sea and they drowned. You know, that's, that's the devil's plan for your life. It's to, it's to kill you. It's to steal your life away from you. The same thing that those devils did to this man. They caused him to be you know, spending time around the cemeteries and running around with no clothes on and acting crazy. You say, well, you're describing some of the worst people that, that, that may be here on the earth. I'm just here to tell you it's the devil's desire to take you any way he can get you. He'll take you from a church pew or he'll take you living in the cemetery. He'll take you from a bar stool or he'll take you if you're too self-righteous to recognize that you need to get saved. Any way that the devil can take you, he'll take you. If he can get you so confused about salvation and think that you can work your way to heaven, well, all I need to do in order to get saved is to get baptized. That's the devil trying to tell you that. That's a work of man's hands. And the Bible says not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. You know, uh, considering what took place in this man's life, you know, after Jesus, you know, cast these devils out of this man, the Bible describes him. 
The Bible describes what took place here in verse number 35. After the devils are outside of the man, the other people come to see what happened with Christ. And the Bible says that they found him sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Before he couldn't be tamed, but now he's, been, he's able to sit. Before he couldn't be even bound with fetters, but now he's not just, he's not bound anymore, but he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's wearing clothes. I wonder where he got those from. The Bible doesn't tell you where he got the clothes from. You know what that says? That when you get saved, the Lord will put some clothes on you. You know, in the book of Luke, in the 15th chapter, when the prodigal son came home, his dad said, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. The Lord doesn't take you. He doesn't just leave you where you come from. I mean, when the Lord gets you, he'll start, he'll put you in some clothes, right? He'll put some clothes on you. you, you, you there's going to be a difference in how you look and how, how you think. The Bible talks about his mental state, that he was in his right mind. You know, the Bible says that God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. You know, if you're, if you're thinking and your thought process is here and there and everywhere, and you're blown with every wind of doctrine, every time something new comes about, you're, you're getting blown over here and blown over there. That's not the Lord. The Lord didn't change. The Lord doesn't have ups and downs. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some, some people would recognize that all this change in a mind and their double-mindedness, sometimes triple-mindedness, and, and gone up from there. You know, God, would, God told me to do this two weeks ago, but now he's told it, telling me. God's not changing his mind that often, friend. There's a change in your mental state when you come to the Lord. That means Jesus helps you to think right. He was in his right mind. He also had a desire in verse number 38. The Bible says, Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. He wanted to stay with Christ. That's a really good desire. It's a good thing to want to be around the Lord. Hey, this has been a great meeting for me. I want to stay with you, Lord. But that wasn't what the Lord's plan was for his life. Now the Lord gives him a command. This is a kind of a sign that God had done something in his life. The sign that the Lord's done something in your life is this. Are you willing to obey Him? Are you willing to do what the Lord asks you to do? The Bible says in verse number 39, Jesus had sent him away. In verse 38, He said, Return, notice, to thine own house. Well, the Bible says earlier in the passage that He didn't have a house that He lived in. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants you to be driven from your own house, living without Destroy your life. Destroy your relationships. Have you live all by yourself. Good for nobody, but just even yourself. Not even that. This man wasn't even good for himself. He was cutting on himself and he was crying. But he had his own house that he could go back to. Jesus said, go on back to your house and tell them what the Lord had done for you. So he had a change in desire. He had a change in direction. He went back home. Notice this. He had a change in his speech. His testimony had changed. The Bible says in verse number 39 that he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. It wasn't just his house that he testified to. The whole city knew this guy had been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's a sign of a true believer. A true believer wants people to know what Jesus did for them. Every time you see somebody getting saved in the Scripture, it could be 
that they hold it in for a little while, like Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea. But there comes that time when they claim Jesus as their own and they make it public before men. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you. You, you should make a public profession. That, that's truly what baptism is all about. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. It's a public testimony that what happened in my heart is what I'm going to submit to in front of my family, in front of the congregation. I'm dying to my old life, and I'm going to be alive to my new life. It's a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. It's a sign of a true believer. It's the first step of obedience for a believer. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you remember the Lord Jesus himself when he started his earthly ministry. He traveled many miles to get to a man named John the Baptist. You know why? Because Jesus... God himself had given John the Baptist the authority to baptize. And Jesus had to be baptized by him. And he submitted himself for baptism. You remember what God said to his own son when he was baptized? He says, this is my beloved son in what? In whom I am well pleased. Baptism pleased God with his own son. And when you submit to scriptural baptism, it pleases God as well. It's a testimony of salvation. Submitting to scriptural baptism is an important part of your spiritual journey. I remember when I received the Lord Jesus Christ, baptism was was regular in our church. Our baptistry water rarely even got emptied. And we had a heater in the water, and, you know, we cleaned it out, and I'm sure that certain chemicals were put in there to keep it clean. But I remember when I got baptized after I got saved, I remember that was my public testimony to my congregation that the Lord had saved my soul. And I wanted everybody to know it. You know, this is another thing. That if God does something good for you, if he, if, he, if he brings out all those evil things or he forgives you of sin, you ought to want other people to know about it. This man who got changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, he published it throughout the whole city. Now, I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you today. You say, Pastor, I, I don't identify with this man. I don't identify with him because I, I, I just... I haven't been involved in some of the things that he's been involved with. I want to say this to you. I'm very thankful that you haven't, if that's your story. I'm thankful that you didn't get so far from the Lord, but that's how far some people can get. But even in that state, Jesus said, I'm going to see that man. Even a man like that was savable. Now, I don't know exactly where this message finds you, but if you're lost, it doesn't matter if you're running around with no clothes on or cutting on your flesh, spending times around the cemetery... The same place this man was headed before Jesus is the same place that you're headed. Just as he wasn't ready for the judgment day, if you've never been saved by God's grace, if you've never trusted upon the Lord Jesus Christ through what he did on Calvary to save you, you're not ready for the judgment day. I want to encourage you today. If you're lost, you need to be saved. If you're saved, you need to be doing what this man did. You need to be witnessing to other people and bringing other people to Christ. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we prepare for this verse of invitation. Say, Pastor, I get really uncomfortable when you preach on the judgment. judgment something that's talked about in the scripture you don't run from the truth you run toward it say pastor I'm, I'm not ready for the judgment day 
You know, you can be. Let me ask you a question. If you're lost, you don't know Christ as your Savior. He's not, he's not inside your heart. Why are you lost? If Jesus died to save you and forgive you, why do you reject him? Why won't you take him by faith? That's how to be saved, you know. Take Christ by faith. That day I got saved, the attitude of my heart was this. I don't want to be lost another minute. And I'm not going to die without Christ for anybody else that I've come to church here with. Jesus died for you, sir. Died for you, ma'am. As Brother John sings the first verse of this song, I want to invite you to come. God's spoken to you about any other issue. You may need to come. You may need to come to pray for a family member. Pray for a friend or your spouse. I need thee, oh, I need thee. God spoke to your heart. You come. Sing on verse 2. I need
encourage you to come. If the Lord's leading you to join the church, I want you to come. If the Lord has put something on your heart to go to somebody else and get forgiveness or restoration, you do whatever God put it in your heart to do today. And when you leave, you'll be able to say it's been good to be obedient to the Lord. As we sing this next verse, let's sing. CR and we're going to introduce to the church and some of you already know her. Come on up here, Sister Lottie. This is this is Lottie Bell Domini Holmes. Now, she said only CR can call her certain things. Uh, so is it Lottie Bell? Yeah, that's what he calls. Her. That's what he calls her. Don't you call her Lottie Bell. It's just Lottie to you. That's L O T T I E. Now, these two that stand before us have been through an awful lot. Uh, it was around Mother's Day this year that Brother C.R. told me, and I'd never known this before, that when he was 11 years old, his mother died during childbirth. She was having a boy, right? She was having a little baby boy. And there were several children younger than Brother C.R. C.R. was the oldest in the family, is that right? And so at the age of 11, he became like a dad uh, to his younger brothers and sisters. And this is, she was three years old when her mother died. And you're, you're looking at the man who took care of her throughout of her life. And now she's come to join our church. Uh, she comes to join our church by, she, she's been a member of the, uh, the First Baptist Church of Newark. She was baptized originally at Lake Worth Baptist Church and got saved at the age of 15. And she comes here by promise of a letter from that church there in Newark. And uh, you got anything to tell the church today or do you just want to leave it at that, Miss Lottie? Leave it. Did I do a good enough job telling the story? <laughs> you know, my heart was so touched to hear Brother C.R. tell that story around Mother's Day. I... It's hardly been a week that's gone by that I haven't been in that morning prayer meeting where I haven't said, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for Brother C.R. I mean, God has truly given us a wonderful man as a part of this church. And Brother C.R., we love you so much, and we honor you for your years of faithfulness, and we thank the Lord for you bringing your sister to church, Lottie Bell. <laughs> Do I hear a motion and second that we receive her into the membership? Brother Lonnie and Brother Wayne, uh, everybody else in favor by the raise of hand. Any opposed? The back door is back there, and you'll see it in a minute. Uh, so we thank the Lord for another person being able to join the church today. Uh, I hope a week doesn't go by to where we don't see things like this happen. And aren't you thankful that people want to join the church? And uh, aren't you fa thankful that families are bringing their families to come to join the church? 
And so before you're dismissed, we want you to come up and extend the right hand of Christian fellowship to this dear sister and uh, give, her a, give her a hug and welcome her into the church membership. All right, we're going to call on our youth pastor, Brother Daniel Flores, to dismiss this service in prayer. Thank you, Mr. Chair.